morning. Welcome back to our series, The Good News According to Luke. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 41. After today, we will be in Luke chapter 3. We are making big progress. This is a very powerful passage that we have the privilege of looking at this morning. The only thing said about Jesus as a boy is found in this passage. The first recorded words of Jesus are found in this passage. Uh, It is the only passage that we have about Jesus between his infancy and his public ministry. So this is very significant. And we know that Luke, when he put together this book called The Gospel According to Luke, he was writing to Theophilus. And we know that Luke was not an apostle of Jesus. He was not an eyewitness of Jesus. So he went and Luke talked to eyewitnesses of Jesus. And it's very um, probable that Jesus actually interviewed Mary, the mother of Jesus. And he probably asked the question, as any good interviewer would ask, what was Jesus like when he was a boy? And she probably told several stories of what Jesus was like as a boy, but Luke records only one story, and it's this story. How many of you believe that could be important? And so would you stand with me once again for the reading of of God's word? I want to thank Pastor Isaiah for preaching a number of weeks ago. Um, And uh, he encouraged us to stand and honor the word of God. And I think that's wonderful. Let's do that again today. We're in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. We're going to read from the English Standard Version. And the Bible says this. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And his parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Let's pray. God, I pray that today that your words would um, become a part of our hearts, a part of our lives today. I pray, God, that you would help us all to identify who our father is. You would also help us to identify who we need to submit to. And God, that you would also identify um, what kind of business we need to be about doing. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and teach us today, speak to us today, convict us today, change us today, lead us in all paths of truth, we pray today in Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated. 
The more that we understand the world of the Bible, the more we will understand the words of the Bible. So we're going to take a few moments today to understand the world in which Jesus grew up in. Uh, in particular, the educational environment in which Jesus grew up. To be clear, we have to begin with this. Jesus was not American. He was not a Patriot fan. Sorry. Right? He was a Jew. He was a Hebrew. Then they were called Jews. He grew up in this land called Palestine, Israel. Uh, he grew up in this town called Nazareth uh, in Galilee. Um, this was Jesus. This is where he grew up. And uh, he grew up with customs and culture uh, and religion. And religion in that day and that age was what life was all about. Your world revolved around your religion. Um, and their whole life centered around a book called the Torah. Do you know what that is? The Torah, the, the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Old Testament is called the Torah. And uh, or sometimes referred to as the law. OK, so their life was all about Torah, it was all about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. All right. Their life revolved around knowing it and living the Torah. And the people of Galilee, where Jesus grew up, they were some of the most religious people of the day. Uh, scholar Ray Vanderlaan. He um, has done some research on this, and uh, I'm just going to, to read a few of his comments. He says, the people of Galilee were the most religious Jews in the world in the time of Jesus. This is quite contrary to the common view that the Galileans were simple, uneducated peasants from an isolated area. All right, think Jesus, all right? The Galilean people, including Jesus, were actually more educated in the Bible and its application than most Jews. Did you know that? Right. More famous Jewish teachers came from Galilee than anywhere else in the world. And they were known for their great reverence for scripture and their passion and desire to be faithful to the scriptures. When the great revolt against the pagan Romans or the Roman Empire and their collaborators back in 66 to 74 A.D., when that finally occurred, it began among the Galileans. The Galileans led the revolt against Rome. Jesus came from Galilee. All right. Jesus was born, grew up, spent his ministry among people who knew the scripture by memory, who debated its application, its inter interpretation with enthusiasm. They all loved God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. And God prepared this environment carefully so that Jesus would have exactly the context he needed to present this message about the kingdom of heaven. So, somebody say Jesus was a smart dude. All right, he wasn't this clumsy guy that just kind of grew up in a carpenter's home and learned how to cut some wood. And one day God gave him this supernatural knowledge about the Old Testament. Are you with me? All right, if you're under the age of 18, say amen. All right, okay, all right. So, to learn about the, the, um, the educational system of that time, we don't read about it in the Bible. We have to go to other ancient texts. And there's an ancient text called the Mishnah. Say Mishnah. Don't you feel Jewish right now? Mishnah. 
Ah, Mishnah. Okay. So, and it's this uh, second century text that was uh, the rabbinical interpretations were found in this text. A lot of other information about what the education was like. uh, And that's where we get this information. Um, There were three levels of education back then. Think elementary, junior high, and high school. But instead, it was called Beth Sefer, Beth Midrash, and Beth Talmud. Okay. Beth meaning house. So the first was Beth Sefer, um, house. Um, Beth meaning house, Sefer meaning books. So um, house of books, this was their elementary school. All right, all children, both boys and girls. Come on, ladies. Both boys and girls, ages 5 to 10, would go to Beth Sefer, okay? And there they would teach you how to read and write, like elementary school. And guess what book they used? Torah. Torah, first five books of the Old Testament. That's, what you, that's where you learned how to, to read, and that's what you would write. And guess what? That's what you would memorize. In fact, most of these five to ten-year-olds, by the time they were ten years of age, they had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. They didn't have Bibles back then. They didn't have copies of Torah back then. If you wanted to read Torah, you had to go to the local synagogue, unroll the scroll. And how many of you know that gets cumbersome when you're trying to do your daily morning devotions? You know, go run the synagogue every day, unroll the scroll. So they memorized this stuff. They wrote it down. They memorized it, told stories about it. Um, They would literally stuff you with this information Uh, And there was a saying in the ancient Jewish writings, and it said this, at the age of five or six years of age, we will stuff them with Torah like an ox. We will stuff them with Torah like an ox. They would read it. They would write it. They would memorize it. They would sing it. They would dance it. I mean, it was their life. And to show how smart you were, it wasn't about giving the right answers, but it was asking the right questions about the answers that were given. Five to ten year olds, a lot like today. <laughs> and every student went to Beth Sefer, and when you were done, you were about ten years of age, and after Beth Sefer, if you were a girl, you stayed at home to help. Sorry, ladies. And if you were a guy, a boy, you would learn the family trade. But if you were really, really smart, somebody say Jesus. If you were really, really smart, you would graduate to the next school called Beth Midrash. Now, as those boys would graduate, the really smart ones to to Beth Midrash, they would also learn a trade. So he was still he was still learning his father's trade of carpentry, but he was also going to Beth Midrash. And this was for the ages of 10 to 14. Beth Midrash means house of learning. Okay, and not only would they finish memorizing and learning the Torah, they would now add the prophets onto that. This is junior Bible quiz on steroids. Serious, right? Really, really serious. Okay, and it was there that Jesus would learn to interpret scripture and apply scripture. uh, And it was a really big deal. And it was uh, it was the every good Jews mission in life was not only to know the law and the prophets, but to live the law and the prophets. And they had a term for it and they called it to fulfill the law. Have You ever heard of that before? Jesus said, I, I did not come to abolish the law or to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. Every good Jew's desire was to come and to fulfill the law. And what's interesting about this age 12 is at the age of 12, the rabbis understood that this is the, the threshold between childhood and adulthood. Right. And at age 12, uh, you were considered to be a, a young man and you would be you would go through this 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 festival and still do it today bar mitzvah right which means son of the law 
Right. And they considered that after you go through bar mitzvah, you become a son of the law or in other words, one who fulfills the law. So at age 12, they expected every boy to fulfill the law. Okay, parents, you can go home and take that to your 12 year old son. You are a son of the law. You will now fulfill the law. Right. And they loved to do that was their passion to know it and to live it and to fulfill it. All right. And it was at this point, age 12, that um, a Jewish boy would actually get to participate in going up to Jerusalem and experiencing the Passover. They would celebrate it at home. Right. But at age 12, now is the big deal. Now is the big time for these 12 year old boys to experience the Passover for themselves. And uh, and Jesus had that as well. And of course, the Bible says that Jesus was asking excellent questions. Why? Because that's what teachers or that's what good students do. They don't just give you good answers. They give you good questions. Not great. So today I'm not going to give you any more information. I'm just going to ask you some questions. (laughs) In our culture, we don't do that. We give answers. Memorize this. Spit it out because it's going to be on the test. Back then it was no. I want to know what kind of questions you have about life. I want to know what kind of questions you have about Torah and about prophets. Is that powerful? I love that. And as you read through scripture, you'll see that Jesus spent a lot of times asking more questions than he did than about that. But then about giving the right answers. And that was very customary. Okay, the third level of education, which Jesus actually was actually got to was Beth Talmud, Beth Talmud. Okay. Uh, Beth house. Okay. Talmud is the Hebrew word for disciple. Somebody say disciple. We've heard that word. What is a disciple? A disciple is a learner, not of information, but a learner of someone, a learner of someone. Okay. So a student, what does a student do? A student learns information. A student says, I want to know the information that my teacher knows so I can pass the test. Right. That's a good student, a good Talmud or disciple or learner is someone says, I not only want to know what my teacher knows, I want to live like my teacher lives. Okay, so this is what rabbis would do. They would say, you know what? I want to find the most amazing 15 to 30 year olds who not only want to know what I know, but they want to live like I live. They want to be those who fulfill the law, not destroy the law. All right. And this is the environment, the academic educational environment Jesus grew up in. He was very, very smart. Solomon was very, very smart. I believe that God gave Solomon the wisdom to get wisdom. If you read through the Proverbs, you'll see, seek it, search for it as hidden treasure. Jesus was the same way. He was a smart, smart teacher. He was 12 years old and he was hanging with the best of them. Right. You know, he was the LeBron James of, of Torah of his day. I mean, he was exceptional, you know. And, and why is that? Because he gave himself to it. You know, he was God, but he still he became a man. The Bible says he humbled himself. He took on flesh. He took on the, the, the same brain that you and I have. And he had to learn stuff. And he did. And he did. And he threw himself into it. Um, where was I? Lost myself. Oh, sometimes if you were in Beth Talmud, you would actually leave your family and then you would live with a rabbi. You would follow a rabbi for for a season of even years and you would become a learner of his life and you would become like him. And so every rabbi's, of course, goal was to have someone 14 to 30 years of age who would who he could make them his disciples 
so that after he was dead and gone, they would carry on his teachings and his lifestyle. Who does that sound from like? Jesus, right? For he left the earth. He said, go and make what? Disciples, learners of me, baptize them and teaching them to obey, fulfill the law. All right. This is the world Jesus grew up in. Okay, let's get back to our narrative uh, in Luke chapter 3. Three times a year, Jewish men were required to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast, to worship. Um, If you were not um, wealthy, if you were poor, you would maybe go to Jerusalem just once a year because it was expensive to travel. You had to leave your trade and you had to go to Jerusalem. And so uh, we know that Mary and Joseph, they they were not very wealthy. They were poor. Uh, We know that because of the kind of sacrifice they brought at Jesus' dedication. They just brought some, some birds, some doves, right? They didn't bring a, you know, lamb or something. So we know that they went um, one year. Uh, they went at least once a year. And this year they went. They brought Jesus with them. And the, the whole family came along. Mary came along as well. We know that back in that day, they traveled in, in caravans up to the feast. They would travel in these caravans, not a Dodge caravan, but, you know, travel up in these caravans up to Jerusalem. And, and all the families and relatives and everybody in the village would go up with them. It was a big, huge thing. They would travel together. They would look after one another's children. There was high level of trust going on there. And it was in that context that they lost God. <laughs> they lost Jesus. All right. On their way home, right from Passover, they're on their way home at the end of the day. They're like, hey, where's Jesus? And they can't find him. They lost him. All right. And they looked around. They couldn't find him. So another day's journey back to Jerusalem. There's two days. And then they spent the third day looking for Jesus. Jesus was lost for three days. It's not the first. It's not the last time he got lost. There was another time he got lost for three days. Where's God? He was hidden in the he was hidden in the earth. He was in the grave for three days. People were wondering, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? On the third day, they found him in the temple. And uh, they were astonished and upset at the same time. Have your kids ever done something and you went, wow, that was incredible. Don't you ever do that again? (laughs) You know, it was kind of one of those moments for Jesus. They're Like, wow, this he's special. He is he's learned. He is he's amazing. Wow. Mom and dad are amazed. Right. But don't ever do that again. Right. So Pastor Isaiah, our kids pastor, grew up in a a big family. They have uh, 11 kids in the family he grew up in. And one year his family went on family vacation. They all piled into their 15 passenger van. I mean, what else are you going to do when you have 11 kids? You need a fifth. Right. And so they head up to Mall of America with 11 kids. You know, I mean, I would have bought some rope or something. You all hold on to that thing. Anyway, Jared, one of their boys, he got lost twice, you know, in the Mall of America, you know, and uh, that wasn't so bad. What was bad is on the way home, they stopped at a rest area. Everyone went potty, got back in the van and they're driving back to Omaha. And somebody said, where's Jared? (laughs) Seven year old Jared, where's Jared? We left him at the rest stop. (laughs) Come on, parents. I mean, talk about freak out, right? So there's a barrier in the middle of the highway where they were at. They pull over the van. Uncle jumps out, pushes barrier over, right? How many of you know when you're missing your seven-year-old, you're going you're gonna to push through barriers. You're going to do whatever it takes. They do this U-turn, and, and Dad, you know, broke the law. God forgave him. And they found Jared, you know, seven-year-old, crying there in the rest stop, you know. Uh, how many of you ever lost your kids before? Let's, let's let the Fern family know. It's okay. It's all right. You know, 
Everybody does it. Everybody leaves their kids at rest stops. Happens every day. So they found Jesus in the temple, right? 12 years of age. um, And he was asking questions because that's what good students did back in that day. And then we come to this verse, and I think it is the verse, the reason why Luke included this in his letter to Theophilus. Okay, verse 48. Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, why were you looking for me? Is that a strange question? Can you imagine that? Why were you looking for me? I'm 12 years old. I'm a man now. You know, I mean, what do you what are you worried about? You know, uh, why were you looking for me? Um, and then he says this. He says, did you not know? It's like you should have known this. <laughs> some of your teenagers, some of your kids are telling you that. Did you know? <laughs> did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And that right there was the big speak that day. And that's why Luke included it. Jesus takes the name Father, he moves it from Joseph, and he moves it onto God, to Yahweh. And he says, God is my Father. <laughs> that was a big moment. And in that day, they understood that when you, when you were somebody's father, your identity, or, or when you were the son of, of, of so-and-so, you took on their identity. It was as if you were one. And that day he said, I am one with the father. In other words, he was saying, I'm not only the son of God, I am God. Not only did Jesus announce that day that he had become a man, bar mitzvah, a son of the law, he announced that he was the son of God. You know, to say that you're the savior is one thing. To say you're deliverer is another. Moses said that, right? To say that you are the king is a big, big deal. However, one name towers over them all, and it is the name that got Jesus crucified. And it's what the Sanhedrin said. They said he claims to be the son of God. The first words out of Jesus's mouth that we have in the Bible is he's claiming to be the son of God. That's significant. That's why it's in here. That's why it's in here. What makes a cult a cult is they deviate from the nature of who Jesus is. There's a lot of cults that believe Jesus lived. A lot of them believe that Jesus died. A lot of them believe that Jesus was a prophet, right? But they don't believe that he was the son of God. What's amazing to me about that is, is Satan believes that Jesus is the son of God. Satan himself in Matthew 4 and in Luke 4, they declare that Jesus is the son of God. The demons in Matthew eight twenty nine declare that Jesus is the son of God, right? So we have these supernatural celestial beings declaring that he's the son of God. We've got angels, we've got demons, we've got devils. They're declaring that he is the son of God. We have the unbelieving centurion, not even a Jew or Rome, right? Roman, he says, truly at the crucifixion of Jesus, truly he must be the son of God. This is a big deal. This is where the battle is. Jesus doesn't come out at 12 years of age and say, hey, look what I built, this little cedar chest. No, he comes out with a big speak. He says, I have a new father. Joseph, it's not you. God is my father. I am the son of God. I am God. It's a big speak. My identity is found in him. I want to I want to ask this. How many 12 year olds do you know that are secure in their identity? 
Think about when you were 12, right? And you knew who you were. You knew why you're here on the earth, your purpose, everything, right? It's all planned out for you. You know, um, uh, all of my kids were like that at 12. Yeah, all of them. Yeah. Um, sure. How many times did you change your major in college? <laughs> right? We're all sorting through this. And here Jesus at 12. And I had to ask, how did Jesus know his identity? And then I went back to his education. Right? Beth Sefer. Right? Torah. And um, Beth Midrash. Right? What was that all about? The prophets. He spent seven years studying the law and the prophets. And I can imagine one day he probably came across some scriptures in the prophets. And he read the scripture and about this about this. This child born of a virgin. What? Mom, what's this all about? Right? And then he read about this. This child was born in Bethlehem. It's all in the prophets. Right? And he read that he was going to be a Nazarene, a Galilean. Right? It's all in the prophets. That he was born in Bethlehem. He's from the line of David. And one day he put it all together. Right? And maybe with some help, some supernatural revelation, he began to realize this is who I am. How did Jesus know his identity? He spent a lot of time in the Bible. Let's bring it down to where we live today, right? So most students today uh, that are in elementary, junior high, high school spend about 30 hours a week in school, about 25 hours in front of a screen when they get home, right? Uh, and how many hours are they spending, you know, in, uh, in the Torah and the prophets? In the New Testament, maybe. Let's give you the New Testament, you know? Right. How much time? Very, very little time. And we wonder why people don't know who they are. See, if you want to know who you are, you've got to find out who God is first. And your identity then is found in them because he's, you're created in the image of God. If you know who God is, you'll know who you are. That's how it works. And so here's the deal. We have a junior Bible quiz. Pause, break. This is a uh, commercial, infomercial. Uh, you're going to get a few of them tonight. Here's the commercial. Junior Bible quiz. All right. They spend an hour and 20 minutes every week memorizing scripture. That's a big speak. And those little ones, the, the first ones that start, right, an hour and 20 minutes every week. By the end of that year, they have memorized 32 scriptures. They have learned over 100 Bible facts. And how many of you know, those little kids, when they go through junior Bible quiz, you know, Mickey should pay me for this. I'm telling you, our kids ministry. She should. <laughs> when they get through it, guess what they know? <laughs> they know who they are. What you laughing about so much? That was a funny joke? Thank you. Thank you. You like that. My wife's funny. I thought it was a funny joke. I thought it was my outfit or something. Thank you. So here's the deal. Are we going to get serious about the word of God? Right? If you're insecure, um, man, start reading the Bible. Discover who God is and who you are. See, Jesus had to answer the question, and all of us have to answer this question. And the question is this. Who is my father? Who is my father? Father's Day was awkward for Jesus. It was awkward for Jesus until he was 12. Because he didn't have a father. He, he had a mother, but that was not his real biological father. So, you know, he probably had some years of identity crisis going on, right? Joseph wasn't his father, and one day he realized it. And on that day, and he said to Joseph, and I'm going to put in my own words, Why were you looking for me? You are not my father. 
I had to be in my father's house. I am more at home here than at home with you. God is my father. My validation and my identity comes from him. And building houses is not my business. Building the kingdom of heaven here on earth is my business. So there was a break that day. And I am not here to tell you um, to call your father today and say, you're not my dad. You know, Um, I'm here to say this. Everyone in this room has found their identity or get they receive their identity from somebody. Somebody's going to tell you who you are and why you're here. And some of you, you've been told who you are. And it's not who you are. And you've been told why you're here. You're a mistake. You're a bastard child. You're whatever, you're whatever, whatever. Some of you, your your father, your real father doesn't even know your real name. At least he never uses it. He has a lot of other names he likes to use. And so you've grown up with this identity. This is who I am or this is who I'm not. And I'm kind of lost and I'm trying to figure this thing all out. Right. Everybody has to answer the question, who is my father? Who am I going to look to to get my validation, my affirmation, my direction in my life? Who am I going to look to? We all have to answer that question. And God gave us human fathers to do that. But our human fathers were born in a sinful nature and they were nurtured in sin and and they're broken and they're wounded fathers and they're going to pass on their wounds from generation to generation. Right. And at some point we have to intervene and we have to say enough is enough. I have an earthly father, but I have a heavenly father and that's the father I'm going to receive my identity from. I'm going to look to him for affirmation. I'm going to look for him for purpose and it's going to come from him. This was a huge deal for Jesus to stand up at age 12 and say these words, because in that culture, family was everything. It it was everything. You carried on the family name. You carried on the family business. He was the oldest. You carry on the business. And he stood up that day and he goes, you know what? I'm going to be about a different business, dad. I'm so sorry. You're not my father. It was a big deal. Jesus was saying, I have a relationship with God that transcends my relationship with you. And whether you have a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a coach, a boss, a spouse, they are not the ones to tell you who you are and and what's important. They're not the ones. And a lot of times we look to them. We just do that. We get codependent. When I got married, I, I I was codependent. Took like 10, 15 years to grow out of that. We've been married for 10 years now. But honestly, you know, I mean, my identity was so wrapped up in, 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 in my spouse. I was like, I married over my head. This is incredible. Right. Um, but Carrie's words were so powerful. She could destroy me in a moment or she could make me feel like, a, you know, and that's too much power to give to a person. No matter how amazing they are and, and affirming you and everything, that's just codependent. At some point, you have to say, God, you are my father. And here's what happened. On the day that Jesus was baptized, God affirmed him as, as his father. He said, this is my son and whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. And he said that to Jesus before Jesus did anything for God. Before he did anything to carry out his mission in the earth. Before he healed anybody. Before he taught a great lesson. Before he preached his first sermon. Before any of that. Before he took on the, the, the scribes and Pharisees. God said, I love you. You're my son. I'm pleased with you. That's awesome. That's the kind of father I need. How about you? Love that. 
couple weeks ago, a young man, uh, I call him young because he's younger than me. I don't know how old he is. He's probably in his 30s. He came up to me and he says, um, my dad and I haven't spoken for years. Um, and he got saved here. This, this young man got saved here um, not too long ago. And, and God has really become his father. But he said to me, he goes, you know, my dad and I haven't spoken for years. And uh, it was his birthday the other day. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to just, I'm going to text my dad. So he texted his dad. He goes, happy birthday, dad. Uh, that was it. Just happy birthday, dad. Love your son or something like that. And he sent it. And I said, well, what did your dad say? He said, he said nothing. Didn't reply back. Thank you. Or, you know, I'm glad you reached out. We need to get together. Let's have some coffee. You know, I'm sorry I missed your birthday. Nothing. No response. Zero. Nothing at all. How many of you know that young man needs a father? It's not going to come from his biological dad. We all have to answer the question. Who is my father? There was a day when I stopped looking to my earthly father for affirmation and identity. And I started looking to my heavenly father. And that's the day I began to grow up. And that's the day I began to, to, to break those chains of codependence of other people affirming who I am. And that might be you today. There's somebody else who's kind of that father in your life. And I thank God for those people. And, they, and what they should be saying is what the father in heaven would be saying over you. We're going to wrap this thing up. A worship team, if you would come. Soren Kierkegaard, a philosopher, he said this about sin. He said, sin is finding your identity apart from God. Sin is finding your identity apart from God. So the big, one of the big questions today is, who is your father? In other words, who are you looking for towards for that validation, that identity? The second question I want to ask you is this. Who are you submitting to? Who are you submitting to? See, even Jesus, who knew he was the son of God, he knew he was in the right house. He knew he was about the right business. The Bible says that he submitted himself to his parents and he left his father's house in Jerusalem and went back to his father's house in Nazareth. No, Joseph's house in Nazareth. So he was right. His parents were wrong. How many of you know you don't need to submit unless there's disagreement? Was he right in saying that he was the son of God? Yes. Was he right about being in his father's house? Yes. And yet what he did is he went and he submitted himself to his parents. That's quite powerful. You know, teenagers think that they know better than mom and dad. I know because I was one. Uh, and Jesus had some of those same thoughts, but he was probably the only 12-year-old that was actually right. And yet he submitted himself to his parents. He left his father's house in Jerusalem and he went back to his father's house or Joseph's house in Nazareth. And what's amazing about this passage is, is after he submitted himself to earthly authority, something happened in Jesus's life. And this is what you need to hear. He grew up. He grew up. The Bible says he grew up. He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. Jesus grew up. Some of you today, you need to hear this. 
there is some earthly person that you need to submit to. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's an elder. Maybe it's a spiritual leader in your life. There's somebody in your life that you need to submit to. And until you do, you will not grow up. You will not grow up in favor with God and with man. And there's somebody who you've been resisting or you've been talking behind their back about and you've been disregarding their authority. And I want you to know that before God will give you any authority, you have to first submit to authority. And Jesus, who was God, submitted himself to earthly authority, recognizing that it was actually heavenly authority that God had ordained in his life. And when he submitted to the earthly authority, he was actually submitting to God as unto the Lord. And it was at that point he began to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And there's somebody here today that the Holy Spirit is talking to. And and you've got a person in your mind or a person, a name or something. You realize that you have been resisting that person, right? You may not agree with them. That's not what it's about. It's not about agreement. It's about submission. And God is saying it's time for you to submit to that person in authority. And Jesus gave us an example right here. On the day he declared that he was the son of God, he went back and he submitted to Joseph. Wow. Somebody say, wow. Am I the only wow person here today? I'm just wowed by that. You know, that's incredible. And God honored that and he began to really, really grow. The last question I want to ask is, um, whose business do you need to be about? So who's your father? Who do you need to submit to? And whose business do you need to be about? Um, Can I tell you the American dream is not in the Bible. The pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness is not in the Bible. I love the movie, Pursuit of Happiness. It's a great movie. But can I tell you, the American dream is not God's dream for you. It might be the dream for America and for Americans, but whether you carry an American citizenship or not, you have a higher citizenship. Right? You have a higher citizenship. And there's a point in time where you have to say, I am going to pledge allegiance to another kingdom. I am not going to be about the systems of this world, the financial system. I'm not going to go after it, go after it and build wealth and build it. I'm not going to make that my priority. I'm not going to make that my business. I'm going to make God's business my business. I'm going to care about what God cares about. I'm not going to agree to the, the, the political systems of this world. I'm not going to pick sides. I'm not going to pick parties. I'm not going to pick nations. I'm not, I'm not going to pledge my allegiance to the, or, the country of my origin. Because that's not my country anymore. I'm not getting a lot of amens in this international church this morning. I hope it's a Christian church. Are you with me? And, and sometimes we have to get poked a little bit by the Holy Spirit. And we have to be reminded about the Father's business. And we have to look at how we do politics and talk politics and money and talk money and, and, and entertainment, another system of this world. Let's enjoy creation. Let's not worship it. Right? We have to examine, am I really giving myself to God's business? What's his business? Establishing the kingdom of God, rule and reign on this earth. He didn't come to provide an escape from this world. He came to invade this world with his kingdom. And to build disciples, learners of him who would come and follow behind him and do the same thing. Man, let's, infil- let, let's be a different kind of people. Let's be kind of the, the kind of people who are, are not from this world. And yesterday we did a, a funeral for Jeff Babcock Sr., 62 years of age. Went to bed one night, never woke up. And his life was, it was the example of, uh, of a man who was not of this world. 
He wasn't about pursuing wealth and accumulating things and wasn't about entertainment. He was about God and people. That's what he was about. It was awesome. What a celebration yesterday. Three questions. Who is your father? If God is speaking to you about that, I want you to stand to your feet. I'm going to pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to come down. Stand to your feet. Who is your father? If God's speaking, stand. Who do you need to submit to? If God is speaking, stand. And whose business do you need to be about? If God is speaking, stand. And we're going to pray. God, thank you today for this opportunity to examine the life of 12-year-old Jesus who, who knew his identity. Um, he knew his business on this earth. And he also knew how to submit to earthly authorities. God, I pray that today that you would help us to do the same. That we would be disciples of Jesus in this way, learners of him. God, that we would just not know what he knows, but we would live like he lives. God, I pray for those who are are living with father wounds today. Their hearts are hurting. They're broken. They're longing for a father to step into their life. God, I pray that you would supernaturally by your spirit do that today. I pray you would declare over every son and daughter today, you are my son and whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. God, I thank you, God, that we have had a spiritual adoption and it was not a closed adoption. It was an open adoption. And we know exactly who our father is this morning. God, I pray that by supernatural revelation, that would be revealed right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I'm going to invite our prayer teams to come. Some of you need some additional prayer today. We want to pray with you. Some of you have some father wounds, some deep wounds you need prayer for. Please allow us the pleasure to pray for you. Can I tell you, God's spirit is here. God's spirit is in the lobby. God's spirit is in the parking lot. And here's what I want to encourage you today. Allow the spirit of God to speak to you in here, out there, and wherever you go. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you want to hang with us here, just worship with us for a few moments.